This episode of the Personal Finance Show is sponsored by no one, for now anyway. Until then, I ask that you please support the show by visiting my small business website, financialaccounting.ca, and my product review website, awesomedeals.ca. Financialaccounting.ca is Canada's bookkeeping and accounting hub. There you will find interviews with accountants and companies that want to help you with your small business finances. And if you want to learn how to do your own basic bookkeeping, you can hire me as your bookkeeping coach. I'm a QuickBooks Pro advisor. AwesomeDeals.ca is where I write reviews of products and services I've used and really like. If you click on the links in my reviews and buy the awesome products and services, I make a little bit of money. So check out these sites, and if you do, maybe we can keep the Personal Finance Show sponsor-free. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Barry Choi wasn't always a personal finance expert. Back in his 20s, he didn't know anything about investment fees or what he should be investing in. But when someone suggested that he might be paying more than he needed to, he quickly found out that it was even worse than he thought. That incident from 10 years ago kicked Barry into high gear and created the personal finance expert we know him to be today. Barry is also one of Canada's leading travel experts and blogs about his travels and various personal finance topics on his site, moneywehave.com. Barry has been published in the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, Financial Post, and Money Sense Magazine, just to name a few. And he's made many appearances on Canadian TV over the years. Barry joined me in Toronto to tell his personal finance story. The earliest memory, you know, there's so many growing up as a kid. Uh, I think the first formal memory is getting my first bank account. Yeah. Um, at the time, it was a national bank. But what they had, which was unique and really appealed to you know my parents and myself, was if you sign up for this children's bank account, whatever it was, you got a free subscription to Owl Magazine. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember that. It was was like, that the same as like Chickadee? It was. Same, same I, not sort that of... I think about it. I don't actually know if it was like a National Geographic Kids, but it must have been something like that. Something similar, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Owl Magazine. Oh. It's like you know every month you get this magazine. Talks about animals. I don't even remember how old I was. I was probably, must have been like six or eight. I think we totally got that magazine, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, kids are into animals at that time. Awesome. And more importantly, the concept of, you know, you put money into the bank, and then they pay you interest, which is funny when you look back at it now because that doesn't exist anymore. I know. Right? So, so it's weird because the fact that I was getting paid money, even though it was, I don't even remember what the interest rates were, but that I could actually see money in my account. But they were high in the 80s. Yeah. This was 80s, right? Yeah, it would be in like the mid to late 80s. Yeah, right? exactly. But it's funny because it was like a noticeable amount, right? Like, like if you think about it, I probably had a few hundred dollars, but I was still getting like a buck or so a month. So you're right. You do the math. You're awesome. just like, like now it's insane. I can have literally tens of thousands of dollars in my adult bank account. And I'll get zero for it. In fact, I have to pay them. Yeah, <laughs> you might get a buck a year. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so what makes that interesting is the fact that it really encouraged me to save my money. Well, where'd you get the money? Where did you get this first money? Well, the money, you know, as, as a kid, it's, it's really just allowances, mm. uh, birthdays. There's yes. really not much yeah. you can do with it. So at a young age, you kind of get that idea where you need to save for certain things. Yeah. Right, right? That 
I think that's my earliest memory for me myself. And obviously, you know, my parents, they're immigrants. So they taught me about the value of money quite early. Uh, we weren't poor, but at the same time, we weren't rich. More importantly, I never got everything I wanted, which I think is pretty normal for most yeah, kids. Yeah, well, but not this, everything. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, you know, you see, see tons of kids where they're just spoiled isn't the right word, but, you know, maybe their parents give them more. And, and that's fine. I, I remember, you know, it'd be Christmas or whatever. You come back from school. Uh, mm. you, you come back to school after the break. Yeah, yeah. And the kids, you know, everyone's talking about the loot they got. Yeah. Or, or whatever, which is cool, right? And then... But if you don't have any... Well, no, everyone, I think everyone gets stuff. And, and I got always one present, usually whatever I want. It would be one sure. present. You know, it's funny at the time because you don't have a concept of how much certain things cost. So something you think you're asking for is a ton of money. Yeah, one thing. Yeah, it's actually but, not. Yeah. Whereas these days you're asking for, like, kid asked for, like, an iPhone. Like, you're talking about something. Yeah. Anyways, to backtrack a little <laughs> do bit. Do they ask for iPhones really young these days? I think they do. Or yeah. iPads or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so to backtrack, you know, I'd go and it's like, oh, I got this one game, which was really cool. Like, yeah. whatever... Nintendo, Super Nintendo games. Like, oh, it's awesome. I got this game. You know, my next one's... And, and the really cool thing about that was uh, my birthday was a week before Christmas. So oh. it was like, I always got two gifts, pretty much. Perfect. Right? Yeah, I'm glad they didn't lump it together. Yeah, you know, well, some it kids... depends. Some of the relatives did, but the parents did Oh, okay. Didn't. The, yeah. Yeah. But then it's funny. You go back to school, and I remember talking to this one kid. He's like, oh, I got like four or five games. And you're like, what? Like, like you're so confused. Yeah. And then, like, you're so confused that they got so many gifts, and at the same time, they're so confused that you only got one gift because it's only what you know. Yeah. Right? You don't know how, what their parents do or, yeah, or even yeah, yeah. philosophies on Exactly. Gifting. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, like, yeah. you're just, like, well, what? And to me, at a, at a young age, it's just, like, I don't need, like, a lot of gifts. I got the one gift, and it was cool, right? And even now, you know, I, I've got a kid now, and I spoke to my wife about it. It's, like, I don't want to get into the habit of getting her a ton of gifts sure you know at the beginning because she's young and we're new parents like okay you want, want to buy her an extra sweater get her some extra books yeah i can live with that right but you know when she's at the age where she can actually understand of like what gifts are it's like no i, I want to do what my parents said you get one gift <laughs> and teach her that like if her friends got other gifts well people are in different situations that's exact don't exactly compare yourself it. to the joneses right yeah yeah Even when you're a kid that applies when you're a kid not just when you're and, and i can also FOMO. joke you know in, in the future since i work from my home home like my kid will have no idea what i do <laughs> like that's she, right she's gonna tell her friends like oh, my dad sits at home all day take your kid to work day yeah exactly what will that be like it'll be like go to okay. the kitchen yeah exactly make me a sandwich yeah yeah, yeah exactly you'll be my assistant for the day yeah that's yeah <laughs> but it's, it's funny like her her i guess her teachers or whatever or her you know classmates are gonna think i'm a bum or something that just sits at home all day at the computer that's good you'll, <laughs> you'll know the secret yeah you'll you'll have the secret yeah. so so you wouldn't have bought anything with this saved up owl money wow <laughs> or did you or well when do you remember when so, you, so when here's, you first here's used the funny it? thing about like saving money i also clearly remember spending that money oh okay so, so you, you know growing up like you know and you're talking about eight nine ten there's not much you really need no right it's not like i'm going out to buy lunch or checking out the newest restaurant that's right right which is what we spend a lot of our money yeah on, and, and vid- even video games back then it's like even though i was saving i wasn't making enough where i could just buy a game leisurely yeah. Right. And by the time, you know, I had enough money, it usually was around birthday and Christmas when people were hitting me up with it so much, not so much money, but the point is like, I'm already getting a you game, get, you so get I don't you necessarily want. need like a new one's like, oh, I don't actually need to spend my, my own money. That being said, once you hit your teenage years, things change. That's right. <laughs> right? You got other priorities. Yeah. Yeah. I, I clearly remember like junior high and like, you know, a lot of these times, like this is when things start to 
go up in price too, right? Mm. So I remember, like, you know, I'm going to talk about video games a lot because that's what I did growing up. Hey. So, uh, like, you know, a Nintendo, a Super Nintendo, my parents paid for those because they were relatively inexpensive. But then I remember when PlayStation 1 came out, it was like 300 bucks, and my mm. parents couldn't believe it cost $300 to buy video games. Uh, and you only get one controller and you got to buy the game separately. That to them was insane. Premium stuff. So immediately, well, well I've got money because I had this money saved up over the years. Like, <laughs> so that's I'm doing where, it. Yeah, so that's so you, where that's all my money. A, that was your first, you, you remember first that? First major purchase. Yeah. Was it PS1? Uh, PlayStation 1 and the games associated. Like I would say most, a lot of my purchases, even like one PlayStation, I think it was number two at the time. Can't okay. even keep track. Yeah, there are so many. Yeah, I remember I had gotten a scholarship to college but it was a scholarship given through my high school. It wasn't like a oh, government okay, yeah. scholarship. So like, just like, like a gift, yeah. Yeah, it was like, a cash scholarship. Yeah. Well, I didn't use that for school. I mean, we used, <laughs> parents didn't even know I got a scholarship that came with it. Yeah. I remember it was like a, awesome. it was a $400 check. And then like PlayStation 2 at the time was like $500. And it just come out. I was like, so this scholarship went right to the PlayStation 2. So it's, it's good in the sense that I was still saving. Yeah. And then I was... But spending, you're spending at this point. You're 18 around this time when you got the scholarship, Yeah, yeah, I sounds about that. And, you know, at that time, I'm also working part-time. I was going to ask you, yeah, where, where did you work? I just worked at a computer store that did not exist anymore. Okay. Uh, just part-time doing sales. And that was nice because it was one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm making this money. Uh, well, I can spend it on, on whatever. But that being said, the, the really nice important thing here is once I started making money, my parents really encouraged me to save that money mm. to invest in RSPs. And, you know, in hindsight, you look back and you realize investing in rsp at that age is not a bad thing but at the same time it's not necessarily a good thing because i was already in a lower tax bracket so it didn't actually benefit me you Mm. know these days right now especially with tax-free savings accounts if you're making part-time hours as a student you're probably better off using your tfsa or, or whatever so there's just better options but that being said the lesson taught it's still very valuable. My parents encouraged me to invest in my RSP early, which I did, which set me on a good pace because I then I did automatic payments. You know, so I was constantly investing, and they taught me it's like as you make more money, you should invest more. So you know, as my hours once I finished college, I didn't have full time job right away, but I was still making more money because it was part time in my field. Now, we didn't have uh, TFSAs at the time, exactly. Right? And the alternative would, you, would have been to put it in something non-registered. Well, I think the alternative at the time, like, you know, mutual funds still made sense at the time. Yeah. Right? Totally did. But I think even at the time, it's just to learn about fees uh, and understand what you're paying. And I think at the time, there wasn't really many alternatives. It's not like I was going to be a stock trader when no. I was 16, 17, 18. You know, it was definitely the right choice at, at the time. You know, I think it's also other things that they could have done, and it's not their fault because they just didn't know. It's like encouraging me to learn about what am I investing in. Mm. So I, I clearly remember, and this is almost what led me down to the path of changing my investment strategies. When I went to the bank, and they may not necessarily have as much knowledge, just say, oh, you should buy a mutual fund. Yeah. And they have no idea what they're recommending. They have some basic general bank knowledge and say, oh, well, this one did well. They know uh, more than last, we do, though. That's, that's the thing. At that's the time, yes. At the yes. time, yeah. At the time. So they're like, yeah, you should invest in this. And because it did this well, X amount of years. But, you know, now I know better. It's like, well, just because it did well the last two or three years doesn't mean that's proof of future performance. And not worth, maybe worth the fees. Yeah, that you're yeah. You're paying anyway. So, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, the other thing I noticed that, you know, the bank, you know, you make appointment every single year just to get a checkup. 
and they tell you how your investments are doing, but you realize they're just looking at a spreadsheet, right? They don't mm. actually explain to you why. Uh, that being said, things have changed over years. I think the bank employees, sure. as much as people crap on bank employees and their fees, I think they're way more educated these days because I think they've learned what consumers are looking for. And more importantly, they've realized that consumers are smarter, so you can't really BS them. There's competition now. Yeah, there's There way... wasn't any back then. It yeah. was the bank or what? Literally so the bank. You guess, are you going to go to Edward Jones? Yeah. I don't know. Was that even around? It probably yeah. was around. Investors Group probably was around. They were the around. And uh, so I was disappointed with what my bank was offering me mm. in a sense that I didn't feel like I was a customer. You know, that being said, when I'm putting in $50 a month, $100 a month, what was I realistically expecting? But what happens is that creates an opportunity for other people to prey on people like me. Because, you know, I was disappointed. And then, you know, a salesperson comes around from an investment group where they can be like, hey, you know, I can give you better returns. I'll pay attention to you, blah, blah, blah. Just put your money in with me. And, and you know, when you're at that age and you think it's a friend, you'll put your money into anything. Sure, yeah. Uh, especially in my teenage years. I don't know about you, but there was quite a few pyramid schemes going on with mm. certain financial products or certain items where they're like, oh, rule of 72 or whatever, and then you'll be rich in a few years. I, sure. can, I can tell you right now, all of those people who were in those you know, lines of employment are not rich. <laughs> I remembering investing in movies and getting tax breaks. That, that was one of the things back that, in, the, in the 90s. Because yeah. you know, the, the rules around filming, they mm-hmm. were giving people who filmed in Canada a tax break, right? Okay, yeah, so if yeah. you invested in that, you would also get the tax break. But you know how these things change all the time, right? A tax shelter is not going to be a tax shelter next year. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so these are the things. And, the, and it feels like kind of the Wild West, doesn't it? Like yeah. old, olden days. Yeah, those are just – I wouldn't go as far as calling those investment schemes, but I, I sort of get it. But they try to convince you, like, hey, invest in this. It's good for you. Mm. But I'm talking about straight-up pyramid schemes. Oh, the, or, the or Bernie Madoffs uh, uh, of the world. Yeah, you, they're not necessarily <laughs> – The scammers? True or? pyramid schemes. Like, like Madoff was more like, – you could argue that's a Ponzi scheme. Oh, Ponzi, yeah. yeah oh, like, so you, a pyramid scheme. Is where sell you're at this the top. And, and recruit people, that kind of pyramid Exactly, scheme. that, yeah, that okay. was popular. Yeah, but, for sure. You know, going back to my personal story, you know, I ended up changing to this investment firm thinking that uh, someone I knew would take care of my money because they were a friend. They would know how to invest. That's right. And more importantly, I didn't know any better. And then you realize that you're just tied into these high, high fees. But then once you're in, it's so hard to get out because, you know, there's deferred sales charges, front-loaded yeah. ends, back-loaded ends. There's so many different Yeah, we can talk about deferred sales charges because I know that was a big deal for you and it was a big <laughs> deal for me too. So, yeah, the idea is they, the salesperson or your, your investment person gets paid like upfront a little bit. At a time or well, as that's, that's the years a go by, load, that's a front-loaded front feed, and then there's the back-end feed. Deferred sales charges are basically if you invest with this firm, yeah. you cannot pull your funds out for seven years, uh, and if you do pull them out, there's a fee, and they can usually start at like about six percent, and it drops every single every year. year. But they, the reason that they're charging you this penalty is because. This is the like essence the compensation or for them or for the it is but at the right? same time like you know they are still getting an MER right so they're getting that too exactly it's yeah. just a way for you to not be able to pull out your money and keep it locked in but how would how did they justify did anyone ever has anyone ever justified a deferred sales charge to you well the hope is that you just don't move your money out and if you're ready you've already you're going to be like well I'm already all in with you I've been here so long what's the point right it seems so wrong doesn't it uh, everything seems wrong right? <laughs> right I guess that's a good point it's all it's all wrong but this one seemed like way worse to me like I can't even take my money out it can be uh interesting 
<laughs> so you you had went through the experience of taking your money out despite having to pay. Well, like I did, like it's, I did. it's funny because what happened, did you wait? What happened is I was really happy with this firm because the way they sell it to you is it costs you nothing. Yeah, you know my services are free, but I didn't know what an MER was. You know that was that management expense ratio we were talking about. Yeah, and it was never explained to me what this was. And that was the deceiving part. So. You know, I used to frequent these message boards and people were asking, like, what do you think of this group? And I would say, hey, you know, my investors with uh, guys from there doesn't charge me anything. I'm so happy. Paid way more attention to the bank. (laughs) And I'm giving him this glowing review, not realizing what this person is actually doing. And then what happened is this random stranger on the same message board messaged me and goes, hey, just so you know, you know, I guarantee you you're being charged. You know, I'm not trying to sell you anything. Sure. But just you should do your due diligence. Hmm. Take a look. Uh, you know, if you tell me your fund names, I will even send you the paperwork as proof. I was like, oh, you okay. know, it's the first time things ever be mentioned to me. So um, I looked into it. You know, I looked, I gave him the fund names. He sent me the paperwork and he's like, okay, you don't need to believe me. You know, I obviously I work for someone else. I'm not trying to sell you anything. But call him if you don't believe me. Yeah. Or just, just do, your, do your due diligence. So I called and called this uh, firm I was with. In case you're wondering why I'm not saying the firm's name. Yeah. I actually have an agreement with them, which okay. I'll get okay. to in a second. And I said, can you confirm these fees? It's also the deferred sales charges and all these other fees that we're talking sure. about. And then the customer service rep was not my, my investor, just a customer service person. Like, yep, this is what you would have to pay if you were to leave. This is how much you pay monthly. And if you were to leave, it's going to cost you, at the time, it was about $4,000. Right. If I want to pull out all my all funds your money, so- because of the deferred sales charges. At the time, I think I was only maybe two years in. Wow. Um, yeah. So I still had quite a few years to go. Sure. Right. Uh, so they did the math, and it was four, four or five thousand dollars, which is a fair amount, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I was probably maybe twenty six, twenty seven at the time. It's a lot really. to pay. Yeah, yeah. That's like a huge amount, right? And keep in mind, at the time, I'm thinking about getting married, and I'm just like, oh my god, I can't afford to lose that much money. Blah blah. blah. So yeah. So the next thing I was like, okay, so I had to asked my advisor, I'm like, you know, what's going on? I thought you told me, you know, there's no fees, and I just found out about this. You never talked about it. And at the same time, I'm, I'm researching things on my own. Just about like, like down the rabbit hole? You're yeah, that's like, exactly what it is, what these fees yeah. are and how it affects you. Once you know. So the advisor didn't get back to me right away. And then when he did get back to me, it was all about like, oh, you, if you're not happy with the returns, we can change the funds to something more risky. Ugh. And it had nothing to do with the no. question I was asked. And the weird thing is, I should have known better, but a lot of people don't. Like, I talked about how this guy was a friend and he was an advisor. Well, what I didn't mention was he was the security guard at my former workplace. Okay. And that's how I met him. So it's like, you're like, oh, he's just changing careers. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, you think about it, you know, I don't know how far the lies go back, but he told me, he's like, oh, I used to, like, be an investment advisor and I'm just taking a break so I'm just doing this for now before I get back into the mm. game. And, you know, at face value, just say, okay, sure. sure. But these days, because I'm older, I would do reference checks. I would check exactly. I, I'd point. check this history yeah. uh, with any person managing my, my money or, or whatever. A lot of people just don't do that. So what's interesting is I was ready to pull my money out because I did the math and I was like, okay, it's going to cost me four or $5,000, right? But if I change the funds and I switch to a lower mutual funds with lower fees, it's going to cost me this much. So I was like, I'm actually going to break even. Yeah. And, I, and you'll make it back probably in less fees in, you know. Exactly. Because not to, you do, you do yeah. math. It's like, I'm actually going to break even. Yeah. Right. But as I started to do the research, you know, I, 
I hung on to all my paperwork. And I read the paperwork, and here's what got my advisor in trouble. Oh, okay. Um, reading the original statement plan, it said that one of my goals in the near future was to buy a home. Ah, right? Okay. And for those people unfamiliar with that, buying a home implies that I needed the money short term. Yeah. Which means that my money should not be invested in anything high risk. Or anything that's locked in. Exactly. Yeah. Which locked in refers to deferred, deferred sales, sales charges. charges. Yeah. So I emailed his management mm. team and I was like, listen, I have proof. This is like, I need an explanation of why this advisor put me into this fund when it clearly says in his own words that I need this money yeah. sometime soon. Uh, management took a quick look and was like, you know what? You're right. There's no explanation for yeah. it. You're 100% right. If you want, we can set you up with a new advisor. I doubt you want that based on the customer service you want. And so if you prefer, we'll, mm. tra- we'll give you back all your money, transfer to any institution you want. We'll waive all the fees. You just need to sign an agreement that you will never speak about this in public wow and i haven't so i will never name the company but it's not hard to figure it out no on your own there weren't, that, there weren't that many going on yeah and yeah. even deferred sales charges only exist with a few firms that's right so it was funny that his boss right away sided with me he's like no you've got proof and we're not trying to fool you whatsoever there's no explanation whatsoever so you got off without having to pay the, the deferred sales exactly and i knew a few other people at my office where I used to work, where I was also with them, same idea. Yeah. And I told them what had happened, and they started to look into it in very similar circumstances. And I found at a later date that my advisor had been let go from this firm because what happened is they did an investigation into him and realized that he was putting everyone in funds that did not so make any sense. So he just didn't understand. Not that he didn't understand, or but he was... Was he doing it on purpose? He was putting them into funds that made him money. Of course. Right? Okay. Wow. <laughs> right, exactly. In hindsight, you're just like, Oh, of course, that makes so much sense now. So he was let go because it was so clear. And and to be fair, the firm, that wasn't their mandate. It's just so easy for for advisors to do that. The firm wasn't suggesting to anyone, oh, you should make your money, yourself money first. It's just when you have that power, you're so tempted because it's like, oh, I can put them in a fund that makes me money right now or I can put them in a fund that makes more sense for them that won't make me as much money. Well, they're living exclusively on these commissions, are they That's not? exactly... So they don't have a... But maybe they have a little base salary, depending on the company, depending on their situation. Exactly. But mostly it's like, this is their bread and butter, this is their living, mm-hmm. and they're thinking in their head, well, you know, there's, I'm still going to make them money. What does it matter if I charge them a little more for this or that? Mm-hmm. That's probably the justification, right? That's exactly the way I, I see it. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it was funny that i found out later that he got let go and it's, it's weird because i ran him into him on the street a couple years later and i tried to be civil about it shook his hand and, you know just casual chit chat how are you doing blah, blah blah because you know i didn't hold any will even though he had basically tried to steal my money uh yeah wow and then he went on this rant yelling saying i had ruined his career you, oh. you know, in public, he's like, "I hope you die." Blah blah. blah. I was like, "I didn't really." Agree. Oh yeah, it's like his career of uh, of like being taking an people's money advisor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like his career, which he was abusing his power. Oh, you know, totally. People like to blame everybody but themselves, don't they? Exactly. And then, like, when I look back, you realize there's tons of warning signs that I should have figured out. Like, this isn't a legit person. You know, I remember he had this laptop that never worked. 
right? And he kept blaming the office, but it never booted. One of those it. IKEA problems. It, it was a joke, right? It's like you could never do anything. No emails ever returned on time. Like one one day, I met with him. He had a cast on his arm, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, my my hand met someone's face. I I didn't agree with." And it's like, Whoa. why is my advisor? you know, who's in his forties beating people up. Exactly. So he claims, like he's just trying to look tough or whatever. Wow. And I remember him, you know, talking to big game and it's like, yeah, you know, my mom owns three condos or three houses in the annex. I live here, blah, blah, blah. And I remember seeing him in a rental apartment. Right. And it's just like, they're just talking a big game to sell you. And, And I believed all of it, you know, thank goodness that person messaged me. Yeah, that's um, that's really really lucky. But uh, I yeah. mean, you probably would have figured it out. No, I don't think p- I would have. Really? Why? Why would I? It's like I mean, over time, right? When, well, I don't um, know. Like it depends. Like you know, it's easy for me to say, but you know, think about it. Until that moment, hmm. I was perfectly satisfied with what this person was providing me, and I thought I was on the right track. I didn't know what asset allocation, what bonds, uh, what how MERs were. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know that stuff either. Yeah. Well, what year was this, by the way? Uh, it's probably about 10 years ago so, so 10 years ago yeah so yeah. i didn't know any of this stuff but you know when the the robos started coming out when etf started coming out there was a lot more publication i feel but even then it's true like yeah i get that when robos came out but you probably don't look because you had this interest in finance like you know Good point. think about i'm just continuing with my life you know i'm not gonna become this personal finance expert that I am now, instead of reading about, you know, the business section, I'd be reading about sports or, or whatever, right? So, so that's, a, that's a good place to, to go back in time to, you went to school for what? Broadcasting. So for broadcasting, and then you ended up working in broadcasting. That's right. For a while. Where did, where did you start? Uh, what do you mean? Like, like what, did you have a first job or were you somewhere for a while? No, I was. That was your first big job. My first big job was at City TV, and I was there until just a few months ago. Yeah, okay. Right. So that you and how long were you there? Almost twenty years. Almost twenty years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you're only twenty five, right? So, yeah, no. something <laughs> like that. No, no, no. Yeah, how did you? You were so you're so young, right? Um, but yeah. you were there uh, for a long time, and so that was your money making, and that's how you got the money to invest, and you were investing that's right. this money. Yeah. And was it only after this incident then that you started really getting into the personal finance space? Yeah, that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. So after this incident, you know, the good thing about that person who messaged me, I actually still talk to him on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, good. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, especially because of what I do now, I, I quote him and we talk. Is he, a, is he a personal finance blogger or he's He's a, a certified financial planner okay, in yeah. another province. Oh, interesting. So quite often when we talk, it's like just for fun. Like yeah, we're, yeah, we're almost yeah. buddies. I've never met him. Hmm. To the states, like the, uh, the but I, I talked to him on a pretty regular basis. The night, uh, the the one that he, he was he saving other people too. I'm sure uh, on the board. You right? would think so, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So you're. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, I just started, started to learn. Into all like, of it. Yeah. you know, at the time it was actually really easy because right away, Tangerine was already popular. Tangerine was probably in the country yeah. about ten years by then. They had just launched their investment funds. It was uh, it was ING Direct at the time, was it? That's or, right. Yeah. Okay. It was so, I, ING. Yeah. Uh, the, they introduced this new product, and you quickly realized that it was like, um, at the time, it was like a 1% fee, yeah, which is yeah. 65% cheaper than mutual funds. Yes. And by that time, I had researched and I understood what asset allocation was, and they, they did a pretty good job of explaining it also. Like, hey, you know, they got different portfolios. If you're young, this is why you need to do it. At the time, by now, I had, I was not married yet, but this was all my RSP money, and I had some other money. I hadn't understood that, 
hey, because I got the wedding coming up, I shouldn't invest this money, but I should use a high interest savings account. I was already a client, blah, blah, blah. Perfect, yeah. Uh, so they took the time to, to have that conversation with you. That's right, even yeah. though it was all online, right? Like it was just, it was right in front of your face. And that so was the funny. easy way. And that was just like a comfort zone. It was easy for me to transfer money or start investing this way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, about the same time, I was also learning about the Canadian couch potato and uh, index funds, just learning about it, reading as many personal finance books I could get my hands on at the time you know i remember reading the wealthy barber the original was one of the first ones i read Mm -hmm. and then i remember reading personal finance for canadians for dummies which was more like a bible it's really thick people don't really think about it but it's actually a great resource part of the dummies series right exactly but it covered so many things it was interesting Uh, I don't think people give enough credit for the dummy series. Yeah, yeah they have is, a lot of things in them. Don't yeah, they? yeah, and then at the then you know as the years passed through, as you know, I remember Rob Carrick's had a book. I don't remember the name of it. He just had like three by now. Okay. Uh, Preet Banerjee had a book. You know, I also liked the Million Dollar Teacher. But everyone talked about index funds. So by then, I had switched over to TDE series, and then you know the funny thing is, it probably only took twenty hours of research to get into it. And it's so simple. But once you understand it, you realize when you read something else, how it all relates back. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very easy to understand how these things... We're all talking about the same basic concepts, right? Yeah. Asset allocation, as you said. Yeah. Low fees. And Mm -hmm. and what else would... uh, Well, you know, even something like, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You know, I still laugh at people who are like, (laughs) you know, you're guaranteed... An X percentage if you oh. just give me X dollars. Like, no. Oh, really? A guarantee? Yeah. Like, no, it's a, it's a scheme. You know, I did a little Bitcoin experiment just, yeah, to, yeah. just so I could tell people about it, right? Mm-hmm. Just so I could say, yeah, don't do this or do it. Like, just make your own choices, but here's the information, right? Because yeah, yeah. there's a lot of misinformation about Bitcoin uh, on how it's like a, a sure thing and everyone's making tons of money. And like you said, whenever anyone says something like that, mm-hmm. you have to really watch out, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's always a chance you're going to make some money. There's also a chance you're going to lose all of it. 100%, right? Yeah. Like you can make tons of money on anything. You know, a good example right now is real estate. Sure. Uh, people yeah. over the last 10 years have made lots of money. The gains have been there. But the rules have changed where it made it was so easy back then to make money. But now mm. the rules are shifting. That makes it harder. But it's funny because, you know, obviously introduced some new rules with the stress test. So it's harder. Well, not harder, but you can't borrow as much. Yeah. Right. It's just to protect consumers. Exactly. Right? To protect consumers yeah. is the key word. And rising interest rates have also made it made it more difficult for people to borrow as much. So it's, it's two factors, right? But what's interesting is there's some people who have been kind of caught in it. You know, they bought too much house and now they're... Just can't... before things changed, I guess. Exactly. Maybe, yeah. So they can't get as much of a mortgage. And because rules have changed and people can't afford as much money, some new builds have gone down in price because it's supply and demand. You know, at the time, people ever wanted to buy, so we charged this much. Now not as many people are buying, so we've reduced the prices. But obviously, they've some buyers are on that contract. So they've been complaining to government saying, you know, these rules are unfair, it's affected us, you know, you should change them just for us. Because, you know, we're hardworking people, we're not asking just for, for anything. Us. Yeah, which makes no sense. It's like, okay, so when you've made this huge mistake and you've signed this contract that you can't afford, you want to bail out. But I don't see you volunteering any of your gains that you got from your house sale in advance. Like, hey, That's you know right. what? I made too much money. Why don't I give some of that back? Yeah. Right? right. So I personally don't feel anything for people who get caught in those situations. And it sounds awful, but at the same time, there's a reason why 
I always tell people is like, make sure you know how much you can afford. And, you know, I get how mortgage calculators work. You know, the banks look at how much you currently owe, right? How much you're making, how much debt you have. And they spit out a number that says, okay, based on this, you can afford this. Based on today. Exactly. And that, there's nothing, it's not necessarily wrong. It's always going to be like this. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it doesn't factor in, you know, how much you want to save for retirement if you're going to have kids if you're going to take vacations nothing uh or even if you have, want to buy furniture for your home and that's fine like i don't expect the banks or anyone to do that it's up to you to factor in like banks can't predict what you want to borrow or what your lifestyle costs and if they did and, and they offered you less guess what they know perfectly well that you're just going to go to the next lender that's right uh, right yeah. so so everyone wants a piece of the pie right it's everyone a good time wants to mention that Bankers are trying, they're looking at your situation, they're trying to help you, mm-hmm. but they also have a mandate to make money. Oh, 100%. That's their job is to sell you financial products yeah. that make them money, right? I've I, I said this previously, if you have a credit card mm-hmm. and you pay it off every month and you pay the balance and you never pay interest, you might be like, how do they stay in business? Yeah, right? exactly. And it's because not everybody's like that. And you're right, people will just oh, wow, you're going to give me this much money? Like, it's a gift. Yeah. Like, a mortgage is not a gift. Yeah. It's like a, a, a lifelong prison, you know, for, for if, especially if you can't pay it or if your situation changes. What is it? Like, if somebody's situation changes by, like, 0.25% or something, or oh, the interest it's, rate it's changes? Oh, it's crazy, right? Well, you see, see stats like anymore. that all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm currently living, not paycheck to paycheck, but they would be in distress if they missed a paycheck. Yeah. Right. And like you said, it's like, oh, interest rates go up by a quarter point and all of a sudden you're hurting. It's like, that sounds insane. That's to me. crazy because well, it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it may not happen <laughs> because obviously your term's locked in for anywhere, you know, from one to 10 years. Most people have it at five. But, you know, what if interest rates have gone up 1% in those five years? All of a sudden it's like, oh, you can't afford as much. And it's weird because everyone these days just focuses on the monthly amount. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was this very popular real estate show in Canada that had focus on a Canadian realtor. I won't mention her name, but every single episode, she's like, just think about the monthly cost. Just think about the monthly cost. Really? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I get that as a realtor or whatever. And not everyone does that. Don't get me wrong. It's like, they're like, so she's like, don't think about it this day. Think about the monthly cost. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, it's going to only cost you this a month, but how about all the interest it's going to cost you yeah. by taking the longer term or, or whatever, right? Or the alternative, like, Compared to the alternatives, right? If, yeah. You know, maybe you could, if you're, some, a lot of people see houses as an investment, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, which they shouldn't. But uh, if you do, well, think about alternative investments that aren't maybe as precarious. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm a little bit more conservative if you think about it. Like, I remember when my wife and I were searching for a home, we got, I'm not even kidding you, just the amount of money we had saved in our income, they approved us for a million dollars. Yeah. Wow. And dual income. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And dual this income, was, no kids this is time. a while ago before yeah. we even bought. And I, I literally laughed. And we only bought like a couple years ago. And it was nuts. It's just like, you want to prove me for that much money? And, and could have it been affordable? Yeah, probably. But like you said, like what we just discussed, I don't know if we've been able to afford having a daughter or taking vacations, or we could have, but something would have given. You know, if we had kids, that means, okay, no more vacations, no more eating out. Uh, or maybe that means sacrificing your retirement. Uh, I'm sure I, you might have had to stay at your job. Exactly. At for, you know, that's, for longer, that's true. Part of, whether we, you wanted to or not. Yeah, a lot of people probably don't realize this. Like, you know, I left my full time TV job that paid very well and had 
huge benefits, uh, paying pension, mm-hmm. pension just so I could spend more time with family, and I took a huge pay cut. And that's fine. And you're right. Had I bought a more expensive home, I wouldn't have been able to be being able to do that. And I'm sure many people were in that same situation. That being said, had I taken that million dollars and bought a million dollar home, that home might be worth two million dollars now. Right? It, might, it might be, but hindsight, right? Twenty twenty. Well, yeah, it's, it's and... it might be, and I can't sell a room. You know what I mean? If I, if I need right. to pull out some equity. That's right. You're still living there. Yeah. I can't sell my bathtub and be like, hey, like, uh, will you give me like this room is worth probably 200000 Can I sell you just a room? That's the, thing about, <laughs> that's the thing about a house, especially the one that you live in, is, yeah. oh, great. The value went up. What are you going to do with it? Now, yeah. you could probably, you could likely uh, borrow against it, which mm-hmm. is, is a terrible idea. But if you needed money, that, that collateral equity is there. It's it's true, like like you know, when homes go up in price, you know, oh, it's doubled in price. Yeah, but you still owe eight hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's good if your income's increasing, and but it, that value is only good if you're selling it right now and you're moving to somewhere cheaper. That's right. So you know, some of the boomers are selling their homes in Toronto that are worth a few million dollars, and they're moving out east or up north, where housing is you know fifty percent cheaper. Good on you. Yeah, you, go for you it. You've made it. Because they probably bought them for two hundred and fifty. But million. Yeah, but at the same time, I know many people my age who bought homes that they were probably sh- struggling to afford at the time. And, you know, on a monthly payments, they can definitely afford it on a monthly basis. But if anything changes, and at the same time, the same people are talking about is like, oh, I can't afford to take a vacation. Or something, a life event happens, and life events do happen. They need the money, then all of a sudden they're struggling. Like you said, do they refinance their homes? Like, why? It's just like because they have no other options. That's why it, we, it's always good to have a buffer, right? Mm-hmm. So you obviously know a lot about this stuff now, but when did you first start uh, writing? When did you first decide to start writing about this stuff on your on your blog? When did this all begin? Uh, you know, I would say about like, not writing, well, about six years ago, then I got more active. You know, social media was starting to become more popular. I was really into Twitter. And, and, you know, Twitter at the beginning, you're kind of like, oh, what is this thing? Yeah, what's happening? What am I doing? So, you know, going back to video games at the beginning, all I was doing was really tweeting about video games. (laughs) Yeah, sure. It's like, like, hey, guys, I'm I'm playing Call of Duty right now. So cool, right? (laughs) I think that was literally my first tweet, playing Call of Duty. But then you realize there's all these other voices and some of the people. So then I saw a few bloggers. I think Preet Banerjee was one of the first people I reached out to because he was like, oh, that's cool. I can kind of talk to this person that... By then, I had read his book. I had learned from him, blah, blah, blah. Uh, heard, listened to his podcast. Mm-hmm. And I just reached out and we talked. And funny enough, I did a podcast with him probably six years ago talking about very similar things. That Around that time. I'll look that one up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking about literally the exact same things. Yeah. About the guy who saved me about the investment Sure, firm. sure. And him and I are actually buddies now because now I write about it. But, you know, after I appeared on his podcast, a lot of the personal finance bloggers actually reached out to me. People I had never heard about because... Because my story that I was telling them is exactly what they were trying to educate people yeah, on. Exactly. And even back then, it was like, there's personal finance bloggers. Blogging was still relatively new. I thought blogs were for just people to rant about their lives or to talk about Japanese cartoons or something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Right? So it was really cool to add quite a few people reach out to me right away. And then I was like, they're like, hey, if you ever want a place to write and share your story, go ahead. So, you know, we had talked about how I got my fees waived, those deferred sales charges. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a story about why. I got that waived and talked about how, like, um, you know, it's based on on the errors you made. And, you know, we talked about signs that your investment advisor is a fraud. You know, I talked about the broken laptop and broken up. Yeah. I wrote that for another person, okay. another blogger. So and is that first, you, you had a first post? Was that it on your site? No, no these are, I basically others. all wrote for other people. 
So how, how did money we have? And then uh, for my site, it was, this is where I was getting to. It's like what happened is like, you know, I mentioned I was at a TV station at the time. There was a lot of layoffs mm, at the time. Okay. And as weird as it sounds, it's, in television, when there's more layoffs and just the position I was in, I actually had less work to do. Because hmm. what happened is they got rid of a few shows and eliminated people. But those oh, were course. shows I worked on. But yeah. my job wasn't, wasn't eliminated because there was still one or two shows. So I actually had a lot of downtime. So I just started writing about finance on my own. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to start a blog for fun just to keep myself, my brain entertained. Sure. So I wrote about, yeah, I just started writing about money because it's what I knew. And then, you know, working in television, I kind of knew what people were looking for. I kind of knew what style to write, uh, what angles to take. That's the broadcast education and your experience. Yeah, it was more the experience. Just, I, I worked in a newsroom, right? You've been doing this for at least, what, 10, 15 years at already? At the time, it was, yeah, it was about 12 years yeah. there. I just knew, right? Like, I, I, I knew how to appeal to certain people. Like, at the time, the finance bloggers weren't necessarily doing certain things, but I, I knew how people wanted to consume media. So I took my background in broadcasting and just kind of applied it to a blog and Fortunately, it stuck. It seemed like people could relate to it, or at least the style, and made it very easy to understand. Because at the station I worked at, it was you know it was really about making it clear for how do I tell a story so everyday person yeah. understands. You know, you look at the newspapers. Some newspapers are more technical than others. But you know, I think I got in at the right time. Uh, was, there weren't that many bloggers, and it was I appealed to a certain demographic and people. And, and you, you know, it was nice that a lot of the community knew my story. Okay, yeah. Yeah, by then, so there's a lot of encouragement, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's kind of how the well, blog that, started. I mean, that's still how the personal finance uh, uh, blogging community is in Canada. Very encouraging. Mostly. When I started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I got so much support. You know, I met, I met you. Uh, you were one of the first ones I met. You and Jessica and Sean Cooper on the same night. Right? Oh, yeah? At the Well Simple party. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and uh, we, we, ne- we never met before. And everyone was just so friendly, <laughs> friendly and welcoming. And, and, uh, mostly, and yeah. Jessica invited me on the podcast. You say mostly, we don't have to get into that. <laughs> but uh, I, I suppose there's a, a bad egg or two or a couple of conflicts. Some people have some strong opinions. Is that what you're saying? People got opinions of uh, personal finance bloggers. Some people like to do their own thing, which is totally understandable. Sure, yeah. And, you know, I think some personal finance bloggers out there just don't give Good personal finance advice. Good know? point. That's just that's just me, right? Anyway, is it like yeah, like uh, recommending things like Bitcoin, that kind of thing, or going that way, or like uh, just well, those are a few things that you could do, right? It's sure. just giving certain personal finance advice that may not necessarily be the best advice. Yeah, but it's all subjective. Oh right? yeah, read like, a, read a bunch of blogs. Yeah, yeah for, we right? talked about Bitcoin. Yeah. It's like yeah, it could go up. But it could also go down. Yeah. Right. And if you're providing the information strictly for educational purposes, then that's fine. But if I read a personal finance blog that said Bitcoin is the future and it can only go up, <laughs> I'd have a problem with that. Yeah. And, and it's no different from real estate. And you just got to see where the sources come from. Like, you know, realtors sometimes. It's weird because, you know, anyone can call themselves a personal finance expert. I got no formal training. I call myself a personal finance sure. expert. Yeah. But if you're a certified professional, you have standards. You cannot make bold statements. Yeah, that's I right. I remember my TV days. You can't just say some criminal is guilty, even if they were caught with the murder weapon in hand. That's right. In the victim, they're still given due diligence, right? But with blogs, like anyone can say anything, right? It's, it's a bit nuts. And then you got to question, like, why are they saying certain things? And I get why, like even like on my own site, I do do affiliates. I do get paid work, but I disclose it quite clearly. 
Yeah, you're not saying this is the only way to go because they're paying me, right? Exactly. You're giving your opinion, which is usually a weighted both ways in yeah. one way or another. Like just you're just talking about the reality. Yeah, of the exactly. Situation. And some people don't believe that's possible. Some people believe that if you're being paid by a bank, you can't give an objective opinion. And I certainly understand why they might feel that way, but I think it also depends on the person you're you're talking to. Yeah. Right? Or or the person the advice they give. If they've got a proven track record of calling out uh, certain banks that they've worked with or, or you know pointing out what's flawed with certain things, I think that's perfectly acceptable. I right. think I think the thing to understand, especially about your situation, and because you have sponsored posts mm-hmm. more than more than I do, but the thing to understand is they come to you because they like your style, not because they're trying to buy you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They think that you're going to be able to write a write a good piece, and they want to promote a certain type of thing, right? Like yeah. like a, a type of product or exactly. whatever, not like come buy it from us. But we offer this, but so do others. Yeah, and then, like, you know, there's so many things out there. I think it's crazy to suggest that some people think that, you know, you can blame influencers for why the world is in debt or, or whatever, right? Oh, wow. Right? Because it's like, oh, you know, this influencer told me to buy this, so that's why. Uh, no, I don't do that because yeah. I could get sued for that. That's you know, right. I'm, I'm very careful about how I word certain things, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and even then, I'm still not guaranteed to be safe. Like I could get sued for any reason here and there. I just like to put as many disclaimers as possible to make it clear. Or even when people like, you know, I wrote this post about how Bitcoin is taxed in Canada. Yeah. You know, just an explanation. But at the same time, I make it very clear that I'm not an accountant. Yeah. I don't work for the CRA. You're just giving information. You should check it. This is what I believe works based on my conversations with accountants. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't work for the CRA and people will complain and be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, if I'm trading bitcoins, why do I have to pay each time when I haven't cashed it in? It's like, well, it's a taxable event. Yeah. You know, each time you trade something, it's it's a taxable event. Like, Just because you haven't converted it back to dollar or uh, exactly. Well, dollars. I can switch mutual funds a hundred times, right. and I haven't converted to cash. But each each switch is You're still buying a tax. and selling it's, unless they're in a, a sheltered. RSP, exactly. Or, or so type account. you'll yeah. see people complaining, and then you'll just like, "Well, I have a friend who talked to the CRA, and they said it doesn't count." Well, that's great. Well, you wow. know, well, that's, okay. that's not you know. But the point is, you you put all these disclaimers, and you let people know, like it's still up to them to make these decisions on their own to figure out, like you, you know, what's they should and shouldn't be doing. But our like our goal is to try to provide more information, or, or all of the information we can find. And we're just trying to help. Here's something that you might want to know about this. Mm-hmm. But then go read somebody else's. And yes, please do talk to the CRA yourself. Yeah. Or talk, you know, talk to the investment uh, board. Look up the rules. You know, Ex- all that exactly. Kind of and even with sponsored posts, like, you know, we talk about certain things. I talk about products that aren't even paying me because a lot of times people don't know that this product exists. Is it considered an endorsement? It depends on how you look at it. It's like, I don't write reviews and get yeah. paid, right? But if, if, if a client tells me to, hey, here's a product we're launching. Can you just give your honest thoughts of how it fits into people's lifestyles? And we'll pay you for it. Yeah, I'll probably do it. And again, people may think that I won't have an objective voice for it. And maybe some people are like that. But for me, it's like, I'm very clear at the beginning. It's like, well, I need to know more about the product first. And then I got to see if it works and maybe we can make a deal. But that's a condition of, of a writing contract is, I mean, I, I'm sure you put this in. Mm-hmm. You 
have every right to have your opinions. Yeah. They don't tell you what to say. That's exactly it. And right? so it's not, a, it's not an endorsement. If you then decide to be like, yeah, I think this is a great, fantastic product, that's still your opinion. Exactly. It's not, they, they're not telling you. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to pull out just because you're like, uh, everyone should buy this and only this. Exactly, right? <laughs> like, I, I want my readers to understand, like, there's products out there that can benefit them mm -hmm. or help them with whatever their needs. Or that could be credit card products. It could be investment products. It could even be something on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. But these products do exist, and, and that's just the way it is these days. Um, you know, sponsorship is becoming more and more common. You look at newspapers and they have sponsored content and they're like, well, you know, it's different because it's in a sponsored section. So it's not really an ad. It's like, it's, it's apples it's and oranges. It's still an call, ad. It, call it whatever you want. Yeah. Right. It's just like, oh, well, we didn't write it. So it's like, and had it from like, I don't care. It's like, or, or whatever you want. Or, you know, some people would be like, well, I wasn't paid directly by the bank, so it doesn't count. It's like, but you're still doing work for the bank, right? It's like, it makes no sense. Like, you can call it whatever you want. So might as well have transparency, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and say, this was like, they, they paid me some money to write an article about this, mm -hmm. but this is all my words, right? Yeah, and, and, you, and that's what you, you say. Know, it also depends on the situation. Like, you know, just forget about personal finance bloggers for a second. Think about influencers or other people. Some people will do this and that and be like oh well, i never take payment you know people are just getting me from me yeah well you know it goes back to you know those those days we're talking about the kids who get all the more gifts some people are just in a situation where they don't need to make money from pushing products isn't that nice <laughs> right you know what i mean it's like yeah it's great you can do whatever you want you can tell the world like you don't need to worry about it but i still have bills to pay so yeah like how do I make money? I make money whichever way I possibly can, right? That's yeah. just the life of a freelancer. Well, I, I found myself, I mean, I would tell people about Well Simple all the time. I'm mm -hmm. like, because I like the product. I'm yeah, like, yeah, go yeah. and this is a good option for you. Go do this. If, and if you don't like them, fine. But I think you should do this. And I'm doing it all the time. I'm like, well, if I'm going to tell people to go there anyway, I might as well sign up for a you know, referral program with them. Or the 100%, advi Advisor right? program so that I can actually stay with my clients yeah, yeah. And, and look into their money. But Wealthsimple takes care of all of the legal I stuff. I totally agree with that. But some people out there think that's completely wrong. It's like you can't do that because now you're – because Wealthsimple is paying you, you can't give objective advice. That being said, you know, you, the Ads Standards Council just put out this big deck about how you should present yourself when it's affiliate. But if you're clear – and you're disclosing yeah. that relationship, then people know. They can so make their fine. own choices. Exactly. That, right? That's the more important yeah, thing. If you don't like the fact that I'm affiliated with this or that product because I like them, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not affiliated. That's the thing to note, right? It's like not affiliated with the highest paying mutual funds. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a different kind of story, right? Like these are the things that I believe personally that are the best products for you. Yeah. And people are, don't realize that or they do know and they just don't care. And they just like to pick on bloggers because right. like they feel like for whatever reason. But, you know, look how many product placements are in movies these days. Yeah. Are you going to start complaining about that? Well, how do you think that product got in there? Because they paid for it. Or why are, Why is every single major movie these days have a scene in Asia or China specifically? Because China's paying them for that. Or 700 car commercials before. Oh, oh 100, 100%, right? Like yeah. it, it applies to anything or even on television, not newscasts, but morning shows, certain shows. Everything is a product placement. That's they right. bought that spot. The coffee or that they're drinking. Right. Stuff so like you that could too. argue that, hey, at least with bloggers, we're disclosing it. We're saying Everything. it. Yeah. Right. But on certain TV shows or whatever, you might not even know it's an ad. Or, they don't, or even, they don't have the same opportunity to say, hey, this is an ad, by the way, but these opinions are my own. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's nuts to think that. Yeah, so. you're right. People will, people will have problems. And, you know, we don't, we're fine. Like, 
we don't need people. I definitely don't want anyone to work with me who has a problem or read my stuff if they don't like it mm -hmm. or be my client if they don't want to be. Like, I'm oh, going to be fully transparent, right? Mm -hmm. So money we have kept going. And then you eventually, you know, got bigger. And, and when did the travel uh, blogging come in? Well, and travel was always there from the beginning. It was, on, it, on money we have, yeah. you were already, always starting. Yeah, and that was really just for the reason that at the time when I started my blog, I felt like, okay, how am I going to do something different from all the other Canadian personal land Sure, Because yeah. there's already so many well-established people. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I like to travel, so why don't I just share how to save money on travel? Great. So I did that as a guest post, and I just added it to my own things. And, and, you know, life changes. And then I just started to write about places I'd been, not necessarily about having a money angle. I still always try to have a money angle, but I just like to tell stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to me, it's just... People like to think travel is expensive, and I don't think it needs to be. And it's not even about it being expensive. To me, it's about having a budget. Sure. You, you know, my wife and I like to travel, so we save a decent amount every single year to travel. And my rule to her, and she agrees with it, is just like, okay, we're saving X dollars every single month. And it's going to sound crazy for some people, but we set aside almost $10,000 a year for travel. Oh, nice. Right? And this is before we had a kid, mind sure, you. Sure, sure. So it was a little bit easier. We didn't have, And it sounds nuts because if you think about it, it's like, Oh, if we didn't travel for five years, that would have been an extra fifty thousand dollars we could have put towards our home down payment. But you got to live your life. That's exactly it. Yeah, right. Balance. We we had decided that's what was important to us, and and the rule was, well, it wasn't always a ten thousand. We scaled it up as we made more income. So I know it sounds like a lifestyle creep, but we did equal amounts to our savings. Yeah. But we said it's like okay, you know what? I'm using ten thousand as a round number now. It's just like okay, we have ten thousand dollars to spend this year. We can take as many vacations as we want, as long as we're under that ten thousand dollars and we could technically go over it but then we have to cut from somewhere else right okay. we can't just and and that doesn't necessarily mean savings right it's like oh we'll cut from savings yeah, yeah. no 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 <laughs> it's like okay we're gonna you know drive less maybe we'll take transit or eat out less, exactly so, yeah. right uh so that's the way we looked at it and it's, it's worked out very well but now with the daughter costs go up significantly and she's the travel fund now <laughs> uh not that she's a travel fund but it's more like well, she is. I guess you could think about it that way because yeah. those are expenses we no longer we didn't have before. Yeah, that's right. So it was easy to save X amounts before, but now we have to have so many other expenses to factor in. And like I said, I took a pay cut, and we knew that going in. So yeah, it affects savings, but it affects everything else too. I can't cut my grocery bill much lower. In fact, my grocery bill's gone up obviously because yeah. I've got a child to get an extra mouth. right? But I did cut back on travel a little bit, uh, and I'm in a fortunate situation also where. I write about travel, so sometimes I work with partners. But even then, it's just like there's always work involved. It's not necessarily free. It's time away from, from your family, too. Well, it's also right? time Which away is... from doing my actual job, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> so, that, that too, exactly. Yeah, so there's everything has a cost associated with it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we look to maximize value on travel, like what destinations are cheaper. If you see a flight deal, deal can, can we make it work? Can we sit with friends for family? Can we use points from our credit cards to reduce the amount of travel, blah, blah, blah? So you use what tools are available to you. And we do what you can, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the money we have and the travel blogging, that's still going. Mm -hmm. But you're maybe doing a little bit less now? Uh, yeah, I, I've, I've just had to cut back on my personal blogging. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, it's funny because I quit my TV job. I need to make more money. So I'm technically freelancing more, yeah. like writing. So you could argue that I'm, I'm doing more. My focus has just shifted. Honestly, I'd, I'd like to probably scale back even more but people can find you all over 
the internet. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You've written for a whole bunch of different publications, you know, websites, banks, stuff yeah, like Money that. Money Sense, Tangerine, PC Financial. I, yeah. I write for just about everyone. I do hosting. I'm on TV. I, I do everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You have some really good uh, video content now I've been ah, seeing lately. And uh, so moneywehave.com. That's right. That's the, that's the primary place to find you. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there another place? You can find me Twitter at Barry yeah, Choi. At Barry Choi. So this is Barry Choi, moneywehave.com. Thanks for having me up here in this billiards room. This is great. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. And uh, thanks for being so friendly to me when we first met and welcoming me into the community. And uh, I really feel like I'm part of the club. And <laughs> You are. Yeah, I finally got you on the show, which is good. Great. Thanks, Barry. Anytime. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot to me, and it only takes a few seconds. As I said at the start of the episode, the Personal Finance Show is currently without sponsors, for now. Until then, to help me keep the show running, I ask that you please visit my other sites, financialaccounting.ca and awesomedeals.ca. If you want to know more about me, you can read my full story at bowhumphreys.com, including links to all of my websites. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Personal Finance Show. Next week, my guest will be Gordon Stein author of Cashflow Cookbook, $2 million of financial freedom in 60 easy recipes.